hello, church family. Uh, this is this part two of our little series on the fruits of spirits. And uh, it's interesting as I'm just kind of looking through my notes and even looking through the passage of Galatians, I realize that each and every single one of these can be like a full-length sermon. Uh, but that's not my intent for this. I'm not going to do like a 45-minute or an hour message on this, but I just want to give us some food for thoughts regarding the fruit of the Spirit. Um, the first one of the list is love. And love is the first, and in a lot of ways, uh, it's the one that seems like the chief one, right? Because we have the list in First Corinthians 13, but we also see that out of the one defining marker that Christians should be is love, because in First John, and uh, it's described that our God is love. And one way that we reflect our Heavenly Father is that um, we show love. And our love is always, is never as great as we think. The way that we show our love to one another, the way that we think that we love our our friends and family, church family, whoever, it's never it's never as great as the expectation that God has for us and even the love that he has demonstrated to us. When we look at the fruit of the Spirit, the first being love, is that uh, we have to always remember that God lavished his love onto us. Um, and, and if you were to be honest, our, our, our expression of love towards people is generally based on the object of, uh, of the thing that we love. Um, our expression of love is generally based on the object. Uh, for example, you, you might have individuals in your life that you love just simply because they are your friends, you know, your inner circle of friends or their family members or there are certain people even who might even have superficial criteria like this person is a very charming individual, this person is a very funny individual, uh, this person is an attractive individual or this person, you know, whatever it may be, list all these superficial things. Uh, but God doesn't do that. God looks at us and he loves us in spite of our lovelessness. Uh, uh, we're not, we are not lovely, uh, but yet God still bestow his love on us. Um, and we see this all the way back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 7, um, verse 7 to 11. The Lord did, Lord did not send, set his love on you, nor chose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out of a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now therefore, uh, that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. Though he repays those who hate him to their faces to destroy them, he will not delay with him who hates him. He will pay him to his face. Therefore you shall keep his commandment and the statutes and the judgments which I command I am commanding you today to do them. So you know, Moses is in, it's or the Lord is really rem, uh, reminding the Israelites that the reason why these people uh, were chosen to be God's unique uh, uh, chosen people is because he loves them first. He made this promise and, he, and he's keeping that uh, that love, this idea of loving kindness, this is love that doesn't end. It's a covenant type love. Um, and that's the way that the Lord is. He loves us in spite of us and his love is continuous and there is no limits. His love towards us is not based on our merits, it's all based on his character. And we understand that the opposite, the world's love, it's, it's circumstantial 
it can be artificial and it's uh and usually it's often something that you can get out of like get something out of it's like a as almost like a way to you know, I scratch your back, you scratch my. I love you in this way, and then somewhere down the line, they expect something in return. And that's something that we need to remind ourselves that when we care for people in our lives, we should expect nothing in return. Um, if we, if someone, um, you know, we lend money from someone, um, unless it's agreed upon, we shouldn't expect it uh, back. Uh, we shouldn't expect anything in return um, because our, it should be out of a, a grace. Um, and a love for other people that we don't um, want to keep a list of wrongs. Um, our love should always be a self-sacrificing type of love. It's always a self-giving type of love because that's the love that God has shown us. Um, and for us as Christians, when you think about love and the way that you love those in the church, when you love those that, the way that you show love in your life, both in and outside the church, it will either draw people closer to the Lord or draw people away from the Lord. The love that is given, that we are called to live by is a supernatural kind of love. We love God, and that is what drives us to love others. It is the great, uh, the greatest command, right? Love your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbors as yourself. Um, our love for others is an expression of our love for God. So that means that if you do not love people around you, or those that not only your friends or people that you like, but those that even hate you, that is a reflection of how much or how little you love the Lord. If you love people in a, in a way that Christ expects us to love, then that's a reflect that, that means you understand how much grace has been shown to you, and the little amount of mercy that you show, the little amount of uh, no matter how, like, especially if you have to show very little mercy, very little kindness, very little love, that is a reflection of how little you know about God's love towards you. Um, you need to convince yourself uh, that that. Uh, you love others um, until it's tested. You could convince yourself that you love others until it's tested. Um, but uh, you have to understand that sometimes we can say that we love people, but we don't really love people until we're put under the situations in life that will test that love. Um, so by way of applications, I'm just, uh, there's, I mean, this can be, this will go on for a long time, but I just want to give us five ways in which we can express love in, in our lives. <clears throat> I think first thing we understand is love it takes initiative. First uh, John 4, uh, verse 10 to 14, it tells us that uh, we love because God loved us first. And you have to understand love takes initiative. So when you think about those in your life, those that you feel that are unworthy of your love, those are people that are annoying or they're just not interesting or uh, they don't, they may not have the same hobbies as you or whatever, um, your love should always be when willing to take initiative. You should always be willing to give yourself, to expend yourself, um, to give yourself away to other people because that's the way Christ was to us. Christ loved us, uh, that he was willing to lay down his life for us. Um, and he told us that there's no greater love than this that if you're willing to lay down your own life for other people. And I think generally speaking, we're not willing to do stuff like that. We're not willing to think in terms of laying down our own comforts or, 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 uh, oh, or even like our, our status or, or where we, our stage of life. You know, sometimes we hear people like, oh, this person's too old for me, so I can't fellowship with that person, or that person's too young for me, uh, uh, so I can't uh, connect with them. No, it, all of those things get checked at the door when you are in the context of the church because you are united in Christ. 
um, any type of anytime those thoughts come into mind, that's be, the reason why those come into mind is because we're thinking, I'm not getting anything out of this, right? When someone that's older, in the, like age, physically older, doesn't want to spend time with younger people, they say, oh, well, uh, I don't connect with them. Uh, that's a sign that they're actually a selfish individual, that their love uh, will only be conditioned if that person is someone they could connect to. And what greater connection is there than the, than the one with you have with in Christ? It's the same way whether you're like in a career or to college or you're a college to high schoolers or high school to middle schoolers or middle school to giggers or whatever. Uh, if you are a believer in Christ, you have something that's unique uh, that the world doesn't have because the world segments the uh, life in that way. The world thinks in terms of like you're in this circle, you're in that circle, you're this generation, you're Gen X, you're you're uh, you're baby boomers, you're this and this and that, and oh, they don't get us. Well, they of course because they live and operate off different things that is just based on their self-interest. But for us as Christians, what we have together as Christians to one another is that we have a love that is driven by the gospel. Um, so one way you show that is you take initiative, and maybe that's something you need to do this week. Uh, find someone uh, that you don't usually talk with and just try to get to know them. Send them an email, give them a call, send a text message, you know, show them that, um, hey, uh, I may not know you, but I want to get to know you more because um, because of, our, of the unity that we have in Christ. Or if you, you see a need, I know that um, our church is really good at that. When there's a need in the church, our, good, our church is really good at uh, taking initiative to meet those needs. And for those of you that are doing these type of things, excel still more. Uh, but there are others of you that there are needs that come up and it doesn't even bother you to even consider that, hey, maybe I need to uh, um, you know, humble myself and get out of my comfort zone to serve uh, people. So that's the first one, love always takes initiative. And we understand that because God initiated his love towards us. All right, this is John 3, 16. Uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son uh, for those who believe in will have everlasting life, will not perish, will have everlasting life. You know, God, he was the one who acted on this love towards us. We, he loved us before the foundations of the world. Um, so if we want to show the world who our God is, we must take initiative on our love, both inside especially those inside the church, but also outside the church as well. So that's the first one. Uh, love, it takes initiative. Second, love, care for others and needs. Uh, care for the needs of others. Uh, James chapter 2, this is a context of uh, people who profess to be believers, but yet they don't necessarily live that out all the time. And yet... Uh, James here tells us this, what use is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can the faith save him? Your brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, if it has no works, it's dead, being by itself. Part of the thing that Christians understand that it's, is you have a stewardship. The things that you have, you should be willing to share with others. Um, in the early church, that's what was so different. Um, I think in our modern time, we have things like um, you know, goodwill or um, homeless shelters that just give away clothes. Um, but all of that actually stems from uh, the scriptures, because in the time of the New Testament, this was the, the, there was no concept of like caring for the needy and the poor. Um, it was just people that had much, and they gave to those in the church that had very little. And James was commending those people that, hey, if you have 
things, just give them away. Uh, what's the use of saying that you have love for the Lord and you have all these possessions the Lord has blessed you with and you don't use it to care for those in the church? Um, and whatever that looks like in the context of your life, uh, you need to care for the needs of others. Um, some, I think especially now in the COVID-19, one of the greatest needs that people have is just simple fellowship. Uh, we tend to want to just draw to those that we are used to, or the people that we're familiar with. Uh, but when you look at the Friday night or whatever time you see, uh, you know, you have your, your Bible studies on, on Zoom or whatever, just try to be mindful of those who are there and then um, just try to take uh, uh, initiative again and get to know individuals and, and to see how you can meet their needs. Sometimes all, they, all people really need is just a simple um, uh, recognition that, you know, th- that they're known in the church, that they're not just some, uh, someone passing by. Uh, and, you know, as you get to know one another more, you see their needs, and, and if you're able, you do your best to meet the needs of the saints. Uh, so that's the second one, to care for the needs of others. Third, care for those who hate us. Uh, this is really in the context, I mean, generally it's outside the church, but I'm sure even inside the church that happened as well, where there's some sort of bitterness and conflict that has happened in the past, and you have, uh, for whatever reason, animosity towards another brother and sister in the faith. But yeah, Christ tells us that we need to love our enemies. And unfortunately, sometimes the enemy is within. Not that they're like, like you know, believing in a false gospel, but it's just like, you know, you and your friend were really close at one point, and then uh, some conflict in ministry made you guys not want to, you know, not see eye to eye anymore. Um, well, the, the love that Christ has for us, expects of us, is that we need to love those who hate us. Ro- uh, Matthew 5, verse 43, 45 tells that we need to love our enemies. Uh, you know, the world could, like, love those that love them, but it's just different in that we need to love those that hate us because God, even God, bestows, since it says here in Matthew 5, verse 45, that he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Um, the Lord is a God that is gracious even to those who don't love him um, because in the end, that's who God is. God is love. He, um, he not only provides common grace, but he, uh, I mean, the greatest thing that he's provided is salvation. Um, Romans 5, verse 6 to 8, tells us that for while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, there's this... Uh, there's this idea in the world that we should only care and die for those that are noble. You know, I think if you were to take a bullet for someone, it would probably be someone that you care about. But if it's someone that is like an enemy, you wouldn't, that, that wouldn't even cross your mind. You know, especially in our time, in our day and age, when there's so, so much hostility and anger, the love that we see about willing to die for those who hate us is not even like a remote possibility, at least not for the Christian, at least. Christians should be willing to lay down their life for those who hate us because we know that's what Christ has done for us. We model Christ in this way. We're willing to give up everything, um, be, pay the ultimate price because that's what Christ has done for us. Now, you can't get to this extreme about willing to die for others and, and do this high calling of giving up your life if you're not willing to just reconcile with people in the church. If you're not willing to just... Uh, uh, make up with those that hurt you in the church, then you're not going to do what Christ expects of you. Fourth, forgives, 
love forgives without, regardless of apology. Um, and I think this is interesting because there's different debates, even in the Christian world, like, do people need to forgive? They never ask for forgiveness. And I usually answer that question by this. Have you confessed every single sin to the Lord? Have you confessed every single sin, those secret sins, the uh, overt sins, the sins that you aren't even aware of? Have you confessed? Are you are you sure that you confess every single sin to the Lord? And if we're be honest, of course not. Even in the Old Testament, there was a sacrifice of commission and omission, sins that uh, that that you've done deliberately and sins that you failed to do, the, uh, the things that you're supposed to do, um, and that's what uh, uh, we need to do. God forgave us on our shortcomings and our massive sins, even if we don't, when we don't even aware of them. So how much more are we supposed to be with other people? Uh, there's bound to be people that offends, offend us, and they may not even know it, but we still need excess forgiveness. And if maybe for some, uh, they do, uh, they, they do know that they've hurt you, uh, but you still need to forgive if they, uh, even if they don't apologize. Why? Because that's how our God loves us. Uh, we don't always apologize. We don't always seek. We don't always confess our sins, or we don't always confess in the way that we um, like to. But yet, God still loves us because all of our sin is taken care of on the cross. In the same way, those that hurt you, their sin, if they're a believer, their sin is also placed on the cross. Therefore, we need to forgive, regardless of people asking for uh, for forgiveness. We need to forgive them. Fifth, uh, our love is not a feeling, but with will and action. This is kind of going back to the book of James again, where um, faith without works dead. You claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, yet you don't do any, uh, you don't live it out. So you don't take the need to love those around you. Um, so that's part of why, uh, you know, faith without work is it. Because what's the point of calling yourself a Christian? What's the point of studying all this theology? What's the point of doing all of these things? If your life isn't changed by it. Um, you need to be moved by the love of God so that you can love others. And it's not a feeling. You know, sometimes we think, oh, I don't feel like loving this person. You know, like Christianity is more than just a feeling. It's actually primarily an intellectual thing. It's more about your mind. You know, that's why Scripture always tells us to uh, have the Word of God dwell in our mind richly. Uh, we need to meditate on the Word of God. Um, and that's what drives our emotions and that's what drives our actions. Um, and that's and if, when your your mind is saturated with the word of God, then your heart will be moved to act in, in the way that's in accordance to God's will. And love is one of those things. We need to act and love those, uh, uh, not because of our feeling, because look, trust me, there will be days when you don't want, you don't feel like loving your spouse or feeling like you love your kids or people in your church or your friends or whatever, but. You need to ask for God to give you grace to be able to love those around you because love is not a feeling, but will and action. And as you grow in Christ-likeness, as you grow in um, your knowledge of the Lord, um, this duty uh, uh, will also grow as well. Uh, we'll grow in divine grace, um, and, uh, but it will also grow in our duty to grow um, in this grace. So as we abide in the Lord, as we uh, look to him, as we want to be more like him, uh, the more we are like him, that's how we abide in him. We, we see how Christ is like and we emulate that life. We copy it. We do all that we can to, 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 to try to mirror the way Christ lived. Uh, and the way that Christ lived is this, uh, 
pure, holy, and perfect love. Uh, I mean, I could go to First Corinthians 13, but if you look at our sermon archives at one of our retreats, um, Austin Duncan preached through the first, the whole First Corinthians 13. So I'll, I'll commend that little retreat message. But if you look at that First Corinthians 13, and you compare that's if you compare that love to the way the world loves, it doesn't even compare. For example, the the, the Bible tells us to love. By, uh, and, and how we show love is not to keep a list of wrongs. Our world thrives on keeping a list of wrongs. I mean, it's just amazing now. We have like Twitter and people would pull tweets out from like a decade ago and then they will like, you know, shame the person for something like that. You know, they, they keep a list, a log of things that they do wrong. And oftentimes there's no way to, to let, to forgive the individual. Uh, or if they do that to do all the sensitivity training or they have to do all basically penance. All these different things, so that the uh, subjective uh, moral authority feels satisfied for you to be welcomed back into society. Or First uh, Corinthians 13 tells us that uh, love does not um, is, uh, does not act unbecoming. Uh, um, it does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Uh, and yet, this is like the way our world operates. Love, if it's if it's something that offends them, it's, it's over. Like, they won't love you anymore. Um, even the world's love um, is, is centered around what they feel, whereas the Bible's love, it, it's, its hope is always the best for the other person, right? When Jesus died for us and he showed us his love, it's best, it, was, it was ultimately for God's glory, but it, it benefited the recipient, Um the love that we have in the world doesn't function in those terms. It functions on my desires and my and oftentimes sinful desires. So if you don't give me what I want, then you don't love me. That's a very poor judgment way to discern love. If someone doesn't give you what you want, that means they don't love you. Because what you want is going to change from time to time. Does that mean that they can only love you time to time? No, like love. Love as defined by scripture is has the other person's best interest in mind, even if they may not be aware of it. You know, when we share the gospel with people, that's the most loving thing we can do because they don't know what they need the most is that they need to be made right with the Lord. So this ties up our little devotional on on love. Um, that So this week, I just hope that uh, you, you think of, or for, even for today, if you're listening, I don't know when you're listening to this, but think about love. How can you demonstrate love to those in your life? How can you think, demonstrate love to those um, outside and inside the church? What are some of the things that you can do? How can you take more initiative in your life uh, to demonstrate Christ's likeness? How, how can you de- to demonstrate that to those inside the church and encourage them to be like Christ or, or demonstrate outside the church so you can um, show them a piece of how great our Savior is? That's love. Uh, and tomorrow we will look at joy. The part of the Christian life is that we are people that is filled with joy. Okay, see you guys tomorrow.